0: Ready for a family edition, but we just want to say thank you. So, Luke chapter one. The angel Gabriel had some messages to deliver. Uh, he gave one message to a couple, particularly a man named Zachariah in the temple, about a baby that was to come in old age to he and his wife Elizabeth. But he also had another message, a message to Mary young woman probably 13 or 14 years of age engaged to be married but not yet married uh, living in a little town called Nazareth and Nazareth is nothing to be even recognized it's about 8 miles west of the sea of Galilee and it's a little farming town little community of peasants mostly uh, at the peak maybe it had 500, 600 people living there. And then the angel Gabriel had a message for this young woman, one that was going to not only change her life, but change the lives of billions of people. This is his message to her, starting in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed, to be to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Here's his message. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call His name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to Him the throne of His father David, and He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of His kingdom there will be no end. I'd like just to give you three thoughts. I'd like to make a comment or two about His name, a comment about His throne, and a comment about His kingdom. Would you say that with me? His name, His throne, His kingdom. Say it again. His name, His throne, His kingdom. Let's first start with His name. Verse 31 tells us that the angel gave the name. Verse 31, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call His name Jesus. His name means something. Now, many of us, Who've had kids had plans for their name. We wanted a name that maybe meant something to the family, or a name that meant something to us personally. Uh, Our two sons, uh, our firstborn is named Isaac out of the Old Testament book of Genesis. Isaac was the name given to Abraham and Sarah's son, and it means laughter. And I promise you, he has brought us great joy and laughter. Our second son is named Ethan, and he's Named after one of David's psalm writers, one of David's song leaders. And Ethan means strong one. And let me tell you, you try to wrestle him and he can win. He's a strong one. But they have names that have meanings. It's important that some of you have chosen names that have meanings. It's odd that Mary and Joseph didn't get a choice in Jesus' name. Uh, Mary didn't scribble down on a piece of paper some names for this boy. And when Joseph found out that he was going to be an earthly dad, he didn't jot down, oh, I want to name him after my father, after my grandfather. He didn't, wanna, didn't get the chance to name him after someone that was a patriarch of that family. You see, Jesus' name was given by the angel to this couple. Because Jesus isn't just His name to be called by. It's the name that tells us what He's going to do. It's His purpose. It's His mission. It's His reason for coming. Jesus is the Old Testament name Yeshua, Joshua, that we would say in English. That means one who saves us from our sins, our Deliverer. You see, Jesus' name is not just what He's called by in the streets. Hey, Jesus. Hey, Jesus. It's telling what He came to do. It's telling what His purpose was. It's telling what His mission was on this earth. His mission, His purpose, was to save us from our sins. It's in His name. And I will say to you, friends, it's a name above every name. The Scripture says in the book of Philippians chapter 2, that at His name, Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's His name. And His name is the name that all will come to and all will confess. The Scripture says in the book of Acts, there is no other name given among men by which we can be saved but the name of Jesus. It's His name. And if any of you have ever been in a place of True repentance, true confession, true brokenness before God. You didn't call your own name. You called on the name that is the name of Jesus. Amen? How many of you have ever called on His name? Amen. We pray in His name. We call on His name. We sing about His name. It's about His name. It's also about His throne. Say, His throne. It's not only about His name the message comes to to Mary, but it's about His throne. Look carefully at verse 32. And He will be great, the Bible says, and He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to Him the throne of His father David. Now, for those of you who know the Bible story, you know who King David is. Most of us remember David and Goliath, or we remember David and Bathsheba. We remember the stories of David who writes nearly a majority of the Psalms. We think about the slingshot and the giant. We think about possibly the adultery and the murder. But this man, King David, was something that was not just a story. He was a real person. He ruled in the land that we call Israel, from about 1010 B.C. to 970 B.C. That's a 40-year reign. He really was a real man. And he lived a real life and ruled over a real kingdom. And the Bible teaches us, and history affirms, that David did some amazing things. One thing that he did was he moved the capital to Jerusalem. He also was the one who had a vision for a temple. And he put the, the government of the people and the worship of the people and the, the presence of God in the midst of the people. And still to this day, Jerusalem is a significant city because of King David. I've actually been to a place that they say has the remains of King David. I don't know if he's actually buried in this casket. The people on my right and on my left were kneeling and reciting the Psalms written by King David at this burial place still to this day. Now, he had a son that many of you know of named Solomon. And Solomon ruled for another 30 years after his father David ruled. Seventy years father and son ruled the land that we now know of Israel. You see, David was a real person. His kingdom was a real kingdom. His throne was a real throne. But the Scripture says here that Jesus is going to sit on the throne of His father David. Now, just lean in here. Jesus is born both of Mary and Joseph, both who were of the house of who? David. They went to Bethlehem to be registered once they were married because they were of the lineage of King David. And Bethlehem was the original city of King David. You remember Jesse, the father of David, and he had sons, and they lived in Bethlehem, which is about six miles southwest of Jerusalem. I've been there. You can see those little hills and those wonderful little plains. He was a shepherd, the Bible says. His family were shepherds. And in the same way, he had a place in Bethlehem That becomes important to Jesus. Where was Jesus born? Oh, that's an easy one. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. Comes from the line of David, of the house of David. His parents were of the lineage of David. David was a real man. Now watch this, friends. But David's throne eventually fell. Uh, I'll tell you in just a minute, who it fell to, but you need to know that after Solomon was king, the kingdom split. Split in half. Solomon's sons were wicked. They did not obey the the word and commands of the Lord. And the kingdom split. Still to this day, there is no throne of David. But we understand this not to be a, a place on earth, but an understanding of God's throne. I'm reading to you from Revelation chapter 4, starting in verse 2, And at once I was in the Spirit, John the Revelator says, And behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on those twenty-four thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning, and rumblings, and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning the seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Verse 9, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, and the twenty-four elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever, they cast down their crowns before the throne and sing, Worthy are You, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things, and by Your will they exist existed and were created. Who sits on the throne of Revelation 4? It's not King David. It's the Lamb of God. It's the Son of God. It's Jesus, the High and Exalted, Most High God. Friends, it's a throne that will exist forever and ever. It might have started with David, but it will continue on through the Son of David, the Son we know, as the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! Amen! Amen! It's about His name. It's about His throne. But it's also about His kingdom. Say His kingdom. Now, Americans don't do too well with kingdoms. We don't really do too well with kings. We don't like the fact that There are places in the world that are led by a monarch or a dictator or a person with absolute authority. Actually, if you want to look at the American story and the American history, the reason we started was because we didn't like the King of England, King George. And actually, our first president, George Washington, you may not know this, but some in his early cabinet wanted to refer to him as Majesty or My Lord. And he said, no, 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 that language is of England and of the king. I'm not a king, I'm a president. And he would only allow them to refer to him as Mr. President. Our founding is in a way to reject a kingdom. It's to reject a king. It's to reject the idea that one person sits on the throne and all the rest of us are at their disposal. But friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are one who has been saved by His blood, if you're one who has been washed, forgiven, made new, you have absolutely no problem bowing down to the King. You have no fear of being in the eternal Kingdom of Christ. You have no desire to rebel against your King. Your King is... Good and he is kind and he is gracious and he is merciful and he will be on his throne forever and ever. Your king is the king of kings and your lord is the lord of lords and you can shout hallelujahs and bow before him humbly knowing that he stands on the throne forever. His kingdom shall have no end, shall have no end. Kingdoms rise. Kingdoms fall. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. Kingdoms have their heights and kingdoms have their downfall. There is only one kingdom that shall never end and it's the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you just look at that little kingdom started by King David, that little strip of land that we know of as modern day Israel, It's about the size of New Jersey. Did you know that? It's tiny. Over the centuries, people have come and gone ruling that little strip of land. It started with David and was passed to Solomon. Solomon didn't do too well, and it split in half with Israel at the north and Judah in the south. Eventually, the Egyptians come and wipe out the north. Then after the Egyptians, the Syrians, people from Damascus, you've seen them heavily in the news, people from Aleppo, they come in and wipe out the Egyptians. After the Egyptians and the Arameans, the Damascans move out, then the Phoenicians, the people from the sea, the boat people, they come in. Eventually the Assyrians, that's modern day Iran, will wipe out the north in about 500 Uh, Excuse me, in 721 B.C. Now, the south stays put for a little while, just a little part of the south, but eventually the Babylonians take it over. You remember the stories of Daniel? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Nebuchadnezzar? Know those? Eventually, the bottom falls. The north had already been gone for years. The bottom falls. Well, the Babylonians were taken over by the Medes, and the Medes were taken over by the Persians, and the Persians eventually lost to the Greeks under Alexander the Great, And Alexander the Great eventually lost to the Romans under the Caesars. And eventually the Caesars lost to the Byzantines out of modern-day Turkey. And eventually the Byzantines became the Ottomans out of the Arab Empire. And after the Ottomans was the British, now we're into the 1900s. And after World War I, the British gave the property over to the Jordanians. And eventually after the Jordanians fell in World War II, it became property of the Palestinians. But the Palestinians eventually fell to the European Jews who came back to take over that piece of land. And the Jews have been in battle with the Egyptians, the Syrians, the Iranians, the Iraqis, and probably will continue to find people to fight with. Do you get the point? Kingdoms in that little strip of land have come and gone. Kingdoms have risen and kingdoms have fallen. Kingdoms have come, and kingdoms have went. But there is only one kingdom that will stand forever. And it's not that little country called Israel, and it's not something as great as the Egyptians, and it's not something as even strong as the United Kingdom of the British. And I would even go as far, maybe you're not happy to hear this, but one day the United States will come and go. All kingdoms rise, and all kingdoms fall, but there will only be one kingdom that stands forever. The scripture says, And of His kingdom there shall be no end. So are you a part of His kingdom? It all starts if you call upon His name. It all begins when you kneel and bow at His throne. And through His grace and love and forgiveness, you get to be part of His kingdom. It's all about His name. It's all about His throne. And it's about His kingdom. Let's pray together. Father, I pray right now that there may be one in this room who recognizes their need for You. Their need for You. Their their lack, that You don't have a place in their heart. They've never bowed at Your throne. That they've been rough and rugged, that they have been on their own two feet trying to fight their own battles. God, You've come and they recognize they need You in their lives. I pray in just a few moments that they would come and trust You as Lord and Savior. Father, as the rest of us who know You and trust You and have loved You and belong to You, let us us worship You in a fresh way, in a passionate way, in a name that, that gives us hope and strength. As we sing in just a minute that Your name is good and Your name is great. Let us sing with vitality and hope to know that Your kingdom will never, ever end. Give us courage in that, Lord Jesus. This morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing about His name. And I just want you to really reflect on the lyrics of this great chorus. I think you'll recognize it. If you need to pray or if you would like me to pray with you, I'll be here to receive you. Let's, let's respond appropriately to God's Spirit.